Well, welcome to episode 11 of Undefined with Josine Anderson, that being yours truly. I appreciate you guys tuning in for this show. We've got two great guests coming up, that being Chiefs defensive end Frank Clark. You know he always brings a personality and also a ballet dancer. And actually, their proper title is Eleve Dancer from the Dutch National Opera and Ballet, Alejandro Swartendijk. So he will be joining us, and Alejandro will give me an opportunity to share my ballet roots on this episode with you guys. But before that, I want to do a quick insider report uh, on the show featuring the Minnesota Vikings and the Cleveland Browns. So stay tuned for that real quick. All right, so the 6-7 and seven Vikings are at home against the Bears this Sunday. They are 5-2 and two in their last seven games, which is good, seeing as though they started off the season 1-5. and five. And when I talked to a Viking source, they felt like from a defensive standpoint, the difference now is they're getting over the youth that they feel like they have more so this season than they have experienced since this source has been there. And they're glad at the fact that the fundamentals that they've really been working on is starting to come to fruition in terms of what they've been trying to ingrain. And they like the fact as well that guys didn't get down on themselves and that they continue to work. Now, even though they lost against the Bucks 26 to 14, this Viking source pointed out they were happy at Tom Brady not getting over 200 yards passing and the fact that the Bucks also didn't get over 100 yards rushing until the last two plays of the game. So when you look at the fact that uh, the Vikings missed three field goals, had an extra point miss as well, they feel like despite those circumstances, from a defensive standpoint, they achieved what they came to do. So they like that right there. One of the things that was also highlighted to me is that they're missing the outstanding playmaking ability of Eric Kendricks, who has a calf injury, has been out since the Panthers game. Um, they were hoping by Friday, they were waiting to see if he could come back to practice. Obviously, you'll know by the time this comes out on social media. Obviously, if he comes back to Friday, the source pointed out that they were hoping that uh, he would be a game time decision but when you consider the fact that this Vikings defense is missing Anthony Barr, Daniil Hunter, Michael Pierce who opted out from uh, the COVID situation they like what they are achieving right now. Now as for the Bears uh, putting up a 36 to 7 spot on the Houston Texans the Vikings source told me that what they're seeing on tape is they don't feel like they're seeing anything different in the Bear scheme or Mitchell Trubisky. It's going to be their same mantra in terms of feeling like from their mentality, just pressure Mitchell Trubisky and he'll begin to get jittery. Now, the Vikings are well aware that they are 6-7 and seven and that they're in a three-way tie with the Bears, no less, and also Washington And so, from a record standpoint. And so they're obviously looking to break that. But the, uh, the Viking source emphasized to me that, listen, nobody around here is talking about the playoffs, and it's a day-to-day mentality. Now, as for the 9-4 Cleveland Browns, who will be at the Giants this weekend, very interesting headline there. You look at the fact that the Browns will be facing their former head coach in Freddie Kitchens, who will be uh, calling the plays this Sunday because Giants offensive coordinator Jason Garrett is out uh, due to COVID uh, situation there as well. Now, uh, when I asked them how did they feel about this in terms of this Brown source, they said, look, I feel like Freddie Kitchens is going to be looking forward to uh, calling uh, plays and things like that. And I said, hmm, that's interesting. And he said, no, 
say whatever you want about Freddie Kitchens, but I actually feel like he was good at calling plays. And I said, hmm, you know, tell me more about that. And he said, well, it just feels like some of the issues that they had on offense, at least one of them came from the misconnection that was there between, at times, Baker Mayfield and OBJ, simply because, in their uh, words, OBJ was unhealthy at uh, coming into the season that took away from the reps in the time in the off season and the preseason and played itself into the season. And that, that, that was one of the issues, you know, you know, just kind of causing a misconnect there, but they like the fact that Baker Mayfield now um, is uh, rebounding this season. So when I said, do you feel like Freddie Kitchens will share his inside of the Browns and Baker Mayfield with the Giants defense? Um, this Brown source made sure to emphasize this by saying he's not going to be seeing the same Baker Mayfield. And I said, oh, well, you know, what do you mean by that? And he said, because Baker's more of a player this year, less of a coach. And I said, hmm. And he said, yes, because if, in their mind, the Brown source felt like um, Baker Mayfield was giving a little bit too much insight into the game plan. And he said there's a time and place for a quarterback to do that in their career, but it was a little too early in their mind for Baker to be doing that as much last season. And they liked the fact that, you know, said Baker's not doing that this year with this coaching staff. He's doing what he's supposed to do, uh, getting the ball out to multiple um, receivers, and obviously they like where they are. So we will see where both of those games land this Sunday and uh, Monday with the uh, Week 15 slate. So with that, we'll wrap up that insider report and get on to our first interview, as I mentioned, with Chiefs defensive end Frank Clark. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, shit. What's up, JoJo? What is going on? Oh, man. Why can I barely see you? Is that camera focused? I don't know, is it? Who doing your camera work? This this the Intel. This ain't the ain't the MacBook right now. So Lord, you know how we got to thug it. <laughs> oh, my. That's good. Now I can see, now I can see you. <laughs> oh, my good <laughs> Lord. Listen, you just came off the field, right? Yes. Good Lord. Okay, well, let's bring you in. So we are pleased to welcome in none other than Chiefs defensive end, Mr. Frank Clark himself, into the Undefined with Josina Anderson studio, that being yours truly, while Frank is doing his wonderful quaff of hair in the middle of the introduction. <laughs> Frank, I appreciate you joining us. Joining us. Man, thank you, Joe. Appreciate you having me. Listen, listen, listen. The last time I saw you was in Miami after the confetti was falling all over you from the Super Bowl win. Thank you. Appreciate yes, of course. You got to recognize that. So I just want you to tell me first and foremost, how has... Yes, you good? You good? No, nah, yeah, I'm good. I had to sit up in the seat. You know the seat. You know they don't make oh, these seats for football Lord, players. Oh, Lord, have the Thanksgiving kitty table seat and everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, tell me, how has life changed for you since... The Super Bowl win. Oh man, you know, uh, really, you know, since the Super Bowl, ain't too much change. You know, uh, the fact that you know, you got, I got the ring. You know, you gotta, mm. you gotta, gotta get, you know, thanks to that. Shout out to the, shout out to the ring. But um, shout out to the bling. With this, with this um, COVID situation, things have just been so untraditional. So it ain't like, you know what I mean. You really got to enjoy the after effect of the Super Bowl, or I got to, you know, really sit back and say, well. Um, you know, these things have happened or this is happening because of the Super Bowl as a result of it. No, I just kind of been, um, I kind of came into this year with the same mindset as last year. It was just like, keep on stacking, keep on building. You know what I mean? It's more work to do. So 
Yeah, that's kind of been my mindset for real after the Super Bowl. is just like it's more work to do, working for that second one for real. And that's what I was just about to ask you. What currently inspires you? Because after you got, you know, the Super Bowl ring, your family is flourishing. You know, obviously we'll talk about the extension and the money and all of that. You know, what what is currently driving you personally and team-wise or what have you? Oh uh, man, my um, of course, man. I got my uh, my kids. Um, you know, Phoenix and Frankie Junior. Um, they both drive me every day. That's my why. Um, you know, when you got, you know, two guys like that. I say guys, two kids like that. You know, in my life, um, something that I created. You know, something that I have a chance to, you know, shed light on. And, you know, um, have a hundred percent of an opinion on. Um, you know, it's just great. You know, and then you know, I got my teammates. Um, they got my teammates who 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 got me, you know, going 100 miles per hour, pushing me to be great every day. My young guys, uh, Mike Dana, I got my boy Young Turk. I got some guys who, you know, when I come in to work um, every day, who just pushing me to be the best that I can be. So when you look at life as a whole and that full circle and that whole thing, you know, with, with work and then I got, you know, my kids and stuff like that. Um, my my stuff outside of that, um, working on my clothing line and doing stuff like that and just staying focused um, with my craft. And, you know, it's just, I can say it's just going well. Um, I, I got it in order right now. Yes, I can definitely see a lot has uh, evolved for you since, you know, we spoke and I did that feature on your life, um, you know, and everything that you've gone through, even just to get into the league, uh, become the defensive end that you are and transitioning to Kansas City. And that's what I kind of want to talk about now, because the pinnacle for you, at least one of them, was getting that Super Bowl that was after four years in Seattle and not getting the extension there uh, off of a year where you had 13 sacks in 2018. So just explain to me how the transition has been for you in Kansas City. Oh, man, um, Kansas City transition been great. You know, um, you know, you got some rough patches. Um, I say great because things can always be worse. You know what I'm saying? You know my life. Um, I don't really got a lot of shit to complain about. You know what I mean? When you when you come from where I come from and seeing the things I I didn't see. So, any you know the blessing of it all is yeah, boom get dressed. You know I come to Kansas City. You know sign my deal. Um, things work out in that and as far as that favorite first year, man, we can do what we have to do. Um, playing with a, a crop of guys who, you know, that are the best at what they do. Some of them, you know, in that right, um, literally you got the best tight end in the game, you know, best quarterback, um, one of the best defensive tackles in the game, you know, um, one of the best defensive backs in the game. Um, and I can keep on going. One of the best offensive linemen is as you keep on going, it's just, and you look along, um, you know, that depth chart and you see the, the type of group we have, you know, I, I'm just thankful to be a part of that core group of guys. But, man, it's just, you know, I loved it in Seattle. Seattle was a vibe, man. Just being around <laughs> those guys. Man, being around my boy, uh, who, 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 let me go, man, my boy Jay Reed. Yeah. Man, you know, that was my dog, man. It's to this day, still my dog. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. Me and Jay Reed, we tight. We real tight. You know what I'm saying? Um, my boy Bobby B Wags, uh, you know, and then some of my OGs who was there when I first got there, Cam, Earl, all them, man. It was just, it was a great time. You know, I had been there four years, built up so much. Um, you know, had put so much into that team and so much into my craft, into that playbook, and just learning the system and how things went. And you know, it's unfortunate. Um, 
how things played out there on that side of things. Things happened for a reason. I mean, you took um, care of your business because, I mean, you had your double-digit sacks. You had 32 sacks in three years. I mean, you did what you needed to do to get your five-year, $104 million extension plus with, you know, the Chiefs. So you're doing your thing. But, I mean, and, and you're right. I mean, even just as a reporter covering the, the that team is just – because all of y'all are just so, you know, great personalities there. But I'm wondering, how your how is your experience different under Andy Reid compared to Pete Carroll? And what have you learned from from the mustache from Mr. Andy Reid? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, um, one of the biggest, biggest things that's similar is just how both, uh, how both coaches are, you know, they're legendary coaches. You're talking about Andy Reid and you're talking about Pete Carroll, you know. Myself, I'm blessed to have even played for two coaches like that. It's a lot of guys. Man, I got a lot of homies in the league, a lot of homies, you know, in different whatever, whatever. Guys who they work for, you know what I mean, they coaches and stuff like that. Man, they ain't had coaches like me. I know for a fact. And uh, I feel like that's one of the biggest things I learned from Coach Reed is just really, truly um, being uncomfortable and being all right with being uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? And then Uncomfortable how? I don't know what you mean. When I say uncomfortable, I mean, like, you're going to be put in situations where it's going to be stuff that happens that might not be um, to you comfortable or or – you might not be put in the best situations in your head. It might not be the best play card. It might not be the best this card. He'll tell you, man, don't complain. Just do it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just just make it happen. Just go out there and make it happen. That's all we care about, just making it happen. Just get your best. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, just playing with that mindset, you know, on Coach Reed's side of things and him putting that on on you, um, it kind of help you play freer, kind of help you play with a clear mindset um, in them regards. Um, playing for Coach, Coach Carroll, Man, that was like, man, I come out of college and what 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 better coach to play for coming out of college as a rookie? He let me be myself. So that was the biggest thing with Pete. You know, it was like, Pete was like, man, just whatever you want to do as far as on that field. Like, he realized, it got to a point, like, after I put in what, after I, I was there four years. So after, like, that third, fourth year, he started kind of seeing, like, oh, man. Like, oh, he wanted a guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got all these guys. Then I come into that bunch of guys. You got like seven guys who are uh, pro bowlers, all pro. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm the rookie who come into that bunch. Like, ah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like a chicken with my head cut off. <laughs> but you knew <laughs> he was going to be like that because if he comes into your neighborhood in L.A., you know what I'm saying? And look at yeah, here, it's Pete Carroll yeah. coming out, coming out the, the Pete Carroll hoopty. And if he can walk in your neighborhood, you know that he was going to let you be yourself. And obviously yeah. you learn it from another legendary coach. But the good thing right now is that you're part of a team that is 12-1. Uh, and one. I want to know what you were thinking when uh, you just came off of a win, 33-27 to 27, against the Miami Dolphins. You were down 10 nothing to a team led by a rookie quarterback and Tua Tunga-Vailoa. What was going through your mind when that was happening at that time, particularly since entering that game? You had just come off of four wins that you only had won by one score, just six points or less, and now you're down 10 nothing to this team. So what did you all take away from that experience? Um, well, I don't want to take nothing away from them. Um, I feel like that's <laughs> Tua and uh, the Dolphins. I feel like they they didn't turn their franchise around. I think you got but not even mentally, Frank. I mean, you guys were down. I mean, it was looking a little sketch there early. I mean, it's a team led by a rookie. It's not like y'all have been, you know, winning these games at least the last four coming into this by a whole bunch. So there was from defensively, there was nothing that y'all took away from that and how you had to tweak yourselves to come out with a win. I mean, the biggest thing is finishing. 
I mean, when you got your foot on the team's throat and you have, what, 20 points, um, you got to finish. You got to keep putting your foot on their throat. You get tired of having those games where you go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know what I'm saying? Or you get up on the team. Got to dominate. So what did you all do to improve the four-man rush in this game? Because I know that was a topic and you know, with among the Kansas City media, got to get more rush, you know, from the four-man front. You all were able to get four, you know, sacks on Tua. So what did you all do to at least get some more success other than, you know, Miami Dolphins missing some people on the offensive line? But what did you all do from the unit standpoint, from the defense standpoint, to improve the four-man rush with the Chiefs? Man, all my ends, got a lot of the young guys, Chris Jones, of course, um, but we worked so hard to just with our coaching, with our coaching staff, just to develop a great game plan as far as our rushing game plan, getting to the quarterback. And, you know, for a few weeks, we ain't been able to do that. I feel like that's been a weak point of our of our defense um, this year mm-hmm. as far as our ability to get to the quarterback. Um, it's not it's not um, it's not a secret. I mean, you can look at the stats and we probably around. I haven't even looked. I usually don't look at stuff like that to the end of the season, but if you look, we probably around the end of the uh, end of, as far as the last and stuff. You no know, teams as far as sack mm-hmm. totals. Mm-hmm. You know, one would say that don't matter. You know, one would say that you know winning and stuff like that is all that matters, which is true. You know, you want to win, but you also want to be able to perform. You know, you want to be able to do your job to the highest ability. You know, to um to the to the to the point to where. You know, why you got to this position, why you got to this place. So what you know, clicked in that game for you all with the four-man rush? I feel like it was just our confidence and then it's our ability. I feel like our uh, coordinator gave us a green light. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like he just start, he started calling more plays where it was, um, you know, where it opened up more four-man, literally four-man pass rush opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we very dangerous. Like when you let us rush four-man, um, I feel like we, we have a good blitzing team as well. But I feel like we got four defensive linemen. Um specifically pass rushers. I feel like when we put our four best pass rushers in the game, we wanted the best pass rushing teams in the, in, um, in the field. So how do you feel about your performance? I mean, you know, obviously you got the five sacks now. I talked about the 13 sacks that you had coming into Kansas City, the 32 that you had in the three seasons, you know, prior to even coming to Kansas City. How would you assess yourself in terms of that, Frank? And I know you do have a propensity to come on late as well. You talking about like my performance this year? Yeah, just how do you feel? You're at five sacks now. I know that's not the only way to affect a quarterback, but, you know, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel like it's all right. You know me, Joe. I'm I keep it real with myself. Like I, I feel like I can do I feel like I can do way better. I want to lead the league like in sacks. I don't I feel like I can be blown away a lot of these dudes in my position at, um and as far as sack total, but a lot of that's out of my control and a lot of that is uh you know, it's not really it it would it, w- it would be kind of selfish of me to say, you know, um I, I want this to happen, I want that to happen, because at the end of the day it's a it's a, it's a team defense. And and you need in order for one group or one um one man to be you know what I'm saying one thing to work everyone has to be working on the same cadence and the same coordinates. So for me, it's like I want to play better. Just like I want to be able to um just contribute more, you know, for my team. And um, as far as the little things, just um, you know, I love strip strip sacks. I love just I love rushing the passer. I just love getting in the groove. It's something about getting in that groove and mixing the dude up. You know what I'm saying? Ain't nothing like. So is there a way for you to be more prolific and, you know, be within that team? Because obviously, yes, you got to do it as a team. But can you all, is there a way where you have a conversation with Steve, your defensive coordinator, where you can be even more prolific and you all do it as a team, as a unit? Yeah, we we all on the on the right path. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Coach, coach going to make the right call. But it's just like, 
you, you got to understand that, like, well, you understand. Uh-huh. As, a, as, a pass rusher, as a pass rusher, you know you can beat somebody. It's kind of, it, it kind of start wearing on you after a while when you're like, man, I'm kind of letting him off the hook. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I've got in a way letting him off the hook. Like, you know, he feel, or he might feel like I'm letting him off the hook. Yeah. Or if a dude hits you up, protection be like, yo, man, what happened? Why is this happening? You know, why you do this? And it'd be like, you know, you gotta you gotta play the game. You know, so you gotta play that game with them and, and you know, without letting them know, you know, what's going on or how you thinking or how y'all thinking, you know, as a defense and stuff like that. So it's kind of one of those things, you know. But it's like, man, you gotta trust what your what your people doing. Like once everybody start playing together around everybody as a defense, all eleven start playing, you know, fast. Uh, understand the concept, understand the defense, understanding where everybody's going to be, that's when shit starts falling in place. Better. Well, listen, I mean, you can't argue with 12-1. and one. Um, I'm glad the four-man rush is starting to come around a little bit. Run defense is starting to come on a little bit. Still got to work on the red zone D. But let's transition here quickly. Um, you guys have the 10-3 and three Saints coming up. Um, we know that Drew Brees has um, been designated from return from uh, injured reserve, although Sean Payton recently said that he's not going to rush him back. Uh, what are your impressions of Taysom Hill, who at least this point we're thinking you're more likely to face, but – is the question of who you potentially might face even impacting your preparation and, and of course, your impressions of Taysom Hill? It's not nothing too much to think about when you talk about preparing for Drew Brees. You know, you just know you go, you need to prepare to get that ball slung. Um, but as far as these, these boys, uh, the Taysom, he, man, he's running the ball. Uh, he, he, he presents a whole different type of game as far as when you talk about preparation Why and then especially when you talk Why about preparing for a guy they have two different styles okay. you got a guy over here who who's going who, who wants to run some qb powers and he got a lot of power and qb he wants he, he's gonna have the ball in his hand you know as far as running more you know what i mean um a lot of a lot of different misdirections and stuff like that you going down um you got you got you got you got a um, you got a different type of game. You got a more of an option game now. You got the whole rezone aspect to the quarterback. And they've been watching a lot. You watch if you watch uh, Carol, I mean um, Cam Newton over there with New England, and you watch how they've been kind of using him. You see a lot of similarities. So nobody's not falling asleep on that. Okay, and is there anything that you picked up from how the Eagles played Taysom Hill? Because you know they had, uh, they were down seventeen nothing. That being the uh, the Saints in the first half against the Eagles should have been twenty nothing, but the, the kicker missed the chip shot. Anything that you got off of defending against Taysom Hill and the Saints from watching the their tape against the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, the Eagles did um, a great job. Uh, they they look they they was loading that box, man. They what they was having playing like a five man front almost and. Man, it was hard. I mean, they made it very difficult for him. Um, anytime you're playing that type of tight defense in the box, you know, it make it kind of hard to run that ball, period. You know, put a little bit more stress on the back end. But, of course, when you're playing a quarterback like Taysom Hill, you know, um, a lot of a lot of the, the, the passing aspect, it kind of goes out the door. Just respectful. Man, we know you're not in the game to throw for four, 500 yards. <laughs> okay. You're in the game. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's the respect thing. We know. We, you know. We know. That ain't what you you signed up for to be. That ain't what they got you in there for. They got you in there to control the game as much as they can to get a dub. Like you're not in the game to throw for five six hundred yards. All right. You're in the game to hope they they want you to get some good rushing. You know some good rushing yards. They'll give you a rushing attempts. You gonna run some powers and shit, and then you gonna um they're gonna give you the ball probably twenty some times to throw the ball that, that game. That's about all that's gonna happen. 
Okay. Well, hopefully you picked up some stuff because clearly the Eagles did very well um, against the Taysom Hill and, and the New Orleans Saints. Um, your thoughts in terms of how uh, Alvin Kamara as the running back and Jared Cook as a tight end compare to the challenges you all as a defense have seen at running back and tight end so far this season, knowing that Alvin Kamara in that game against the Eagles came on a little bit more as a dual threat running and passing since Michael Thomas has returned in his connection with Taysom Hill. So what are you seeing from Alvin Kamara, Jared Cook, and how does that compare versus the best running backs or tight ends that you've seen so far this season? Said, uh, as far as best best all-around running back, it's probably going to be the best running back we've played all year for real, in my eyes. Um, you know, that boy been playing some football. Um, you you – Alvin Kamara, he's been playing some great football, and it's just it's hats off to him. You know, it's all due respect. Um, you know, but um, you know, he just gonna have to come with it, just like us. We gonna have to come with it, or you, unless you want to see a guy run for a hundred yards and, and catch for a hundred with two touchdowns. You know, what I'm saying he putting up, he putting up, uh, you know, as we would say, street ball numbers. <laughs> it's like we gotta uh, do our job on defense and containing four one. And then um, I feel like that'll slow down the rest of everything else if you just know what you know. <laughs> Last couple of questions here. Who do you think or who do you perceive as y'all's biggest challenger in the AFC right now? Ah, uh, shit. I feel like the next team, the weakest team, and, and anybody's, like, standards to, to whatever standards they have, it's the weakest team. Because <laughs> that, that's the team that got the most to prove. Some people so, say it's the Bills. That's why I'm just curious. Do you think, do you, you know, do you, you think the Bills? Bill? In the AFC, that's what I'm saying. Who's your top challenger in the AFC? I don't never say nobody a challenger. You know what I'm saying? I don't be thinking like that because it'd be like, if y'all let let them dogs loose, ain't nobody challenge. It's like, y'all got to understand. Okay. <laughs> they let the dogs loose. It's uh -huh. way. They seen what happened in them playoffs. There ain't no AFC. The Chiefs run the AFC. All right, and the last question here, you mentioned that you have a uh... – fashion line that you're working on. Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and help me explain how, uh, you know, because I think the last time I seen you in the Super Bowl, you were trying to show me these white sunglasses. Hey, Frank, where you get them sunglasses from? You, you trying to act like you outdo me in the fashion game. Uh, did, you, did you get them from your daughter? You know, you know I got these, <laughs> these came straight off the runway, Louis Vuitton. Oh, they're Louis Vuitton? You know, they, oh, I'm they, sorry. They, they, you know, East Coast fashion beat, West Coast fashion. Y'all be trying to rock those tight jeans on the West Coast. Just a little bit. Them, oh, oh, thank you. Bit, you know? Okay, hold on. <laughs> you got to film me now. Take my phone. I got you. I got you. Good. You know she, you know she gonna cut up. Look, how am I, I got looking? You. Hold up. Oh, you actually Hold look up. better than them than me. <laughs> look, we ain't gonna lie about it. Look, okay. You know you're a natural too. How what you got on today? I might sell them on eBay. What how much are they worth? Look, I ain't gonna you say nothing. It's an over nine fifty and under a thousand. I don't know what's happening. So tell me about this fashion line that you're going on, and help me to explain how how y'all try to do uh, 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 how you all try to outdo us on the East Coast out over here. Oh man, look. No, <laughs> I'm I'm dropping a line. <laughs> it's um, it's label five. Uh -huh. it's, it's basically it's gonna be all just a, it's gonna be a simple line. I, I I said I call it simple and clean cut. It's gonna have like your bases and stuff, um, sweats and basic t-shirts and stuff like that. Um, it's gonna be some more like design shirts and actually project shirts that take some time and it's gonna be more detailed and stuff like that. But I'm creating a real brand. I ain't dropping my merch yet because I ain't really into I ain't really in the merch. Like mm -hmm. 
love merch. I love supporting people with merch and stuff like that, but I ain't really in the merch just making, you know, thousands, thousands of shirts and just selling them for $20. Like, that ain't really what I'm into. I want to make real genuine clothes, like, that people can, you know, look at and be like, I actually like that. I actually want to wear that. And I want to wear it a few times. And I feel like when you do that with your, um, when you can do that with your clothes, that lets you know that you really like something. Hopefully your pants feature some breathing room, okay? Because, you know, that's how we rock it on the east side. You know, we like we like the men dressing a little bit more baggy clothes. Y'all trying to get a little too form-fitted over on that west. I'm just trying to tell you. Listen, I'm just trying to say. East Coast, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a control the whole fashion. Oh, okay. North, Here we go. North, south, <laughs> east, and west. They go, if you notice, they, they wear what I wear. However I dress, that's how they be trying to dress. They be trying to, they go on there, they page watching, Joe, you know it. Mm. You know it, Joe. Whatever. They page watching, Joe. Whatever, whatever. Well, listen, Frank, right, we appreciate- I'm sick of it, Joe. Are they page watching? They, okay. <laughs> listen. Hey, look, since you're still right there, is Patrick Mahomes, is he the MVP? Because you know people said after he had that three interceptions, you know, uh, A-Rod now, it's Aaron Rodgers. Is your boy still the MVP? They always hating on Pat. Why they always hating? Everybody always hating on Pat. Pat. If they ask me, Pat Mahomes MVP. Of course, that's what we'd expect you to say. That's my opinion. We appreciate the time. We adjusted quickly for a star like yourself to join my show, Under Fire with Josine Anderson. So for Chiefs defensive end, Frank Clark, we appreciate you coming in to the Under Fire with Josine Anderson. Joe, I see the picture. What's that a picture in the background? This is a picture of a, a ballerina in, in Russia. You know, it's, it's representing my day. You, you're not seeing the other side of the studio. Once we put it up on the internet, you're going to see the whole ambiance, okay? I see you, though. <laughs> So we are pleased to welcome in the undefined with Josina Anderson studio, that being yours truly, Alejandro Swartendijk, who is a elevate dancer with the Dutch National Opera and Ballet. Alejandro, thank you for coming on to my show. <laughs> Hi, Josina. Thank you for having me. Like, I love this. I love, oh. I've never done a talk show slash podcast before. Oh. And this is so exciting. Okay, well, love listen, and I, and I just want to let people know, like, how is this happening? Because they've seen athletes, politicians, artists, musicians on my show. And now we have a ballet dancer. And the short of it is that I follow you on Instagram. I saw a beautiful video of you doing some extraordinary flexibility move. And I'm a former ballerina myself, so I instantly followed you. And last night I asked you on direct message if you would be uh, so pleased to join me on my show. And you said yes. And voila, yes. here you are. <laughs> of course. Yes, yes, yes. So first my and foremost, yes, you are joining us all the way from the Netherlands. It is after 8 p.m. somewhere, wherever you are. And, it is, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just want you to tell me, is that where you were born? No, I was born in the south of Spain, Jerez oh. de la Frontera. That's where, what it's called. Wow, say that again. Jerez de la Frontera. Jerez de la Frontera. But both of your exactly. parents are bo were born in the Netherlands. Yeah, they were. So do any of your parents, do you have any Spanish in your background because of the name Alejandro? No. No, I think they, like, because I was born there, like, it was never their intention to move. It was, that's why oh. they decided a nice Spanish name and a very Dutch surname. <laughs> But um, yeah, like me and my brother have pretty Spanish names and uh -huh. very Dutch surnames. But yeah, no okay. Spanish background whatsoever. I'm more Greek than Spanish. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So obviously you were born in Spain, but then you all uh, came over to the Netherlands. Why is that? Well, um, 
I was born in Spain and I grew up there and I um, started doing ballet classes when I was seven. And um, mm. after doing some summer courses, like around London, Dresden, and another few other cities around Europe, um, those ballet teachers told me that it was getting pretty serious and that I was like talented. I hate saying that about myself, but like yeah, yeah. they said I was very talented and that I had to like pursue a career in ballet because it was, I was very good. Yeah. And it never like, crossed my mind till I got those things said to me when I was little so yeah I spoke with my parents and with my ballet teacher back in Spain and I was like what can I do I don't want to go I'm so comfortable here I love the people around me but um yeah I knew like when I was around 12 that it was really something I wanted to do Uh as a like a career so what even attracted you to ballet at the age of seven pretty Billy Elliot story like what people like to call it I um I used to do uh, swimming. So I used to be in swimming classes at this gym and it was me who had an hour class. And then after that was my brother. So I would just stay there with my mom and do some homework or whatever. So when I finished, I would just like play around in the park. Mm-hmm. And um, this one day I heard this music coming from this little room. So I sneaked in and I kind of looked in the little like gap <laughs> of the door and I saw this ballet class and I really liked seeing it. It was like only girls wearing leotards, like a little bun on their heads and this yeah. teacher teaching them. And yeah, I really liked looking at it. So after that, like when I was done with my homework, I would always like sneak in and like look at what they were doing. And this teacher caught me one day and he was like, do you want to join? I was like, um, <laughs> sure. I was like very scared, like a very shy little kid who was like six or seven. I was like, okay, sure. So I did the class and when I was done, I ran to my mom and I was like, mom, I did this ballet class. I love it. Please let me join. I love this. I love this. So like, of course she let me join. She saw how much I liked it. And so I was started there at that gym and I was there for two years. And after that, um, I went to the local ballet school, my city. Uh And yeah, I never left that school till I auditioned for the school here. Okay. So You know, and it's very interesting because obviously, you know, first of all, I come up from a world of ballet too. I started ballet when I was three. I did it all the way to the age of 16. As I mentioned to you, and Instagram was a soloist with the American Youth Ballet uh, Dance Company when I was younger. Uh, Did residencies with the, and here she comes, did residencies with the (laughs) Pennsylvania Ballet. Uh, in the summer, and these are just summer programs, and um, a summer program also with the Dance Theater of Harlem, just as you know, a student learning, you know, from uh, dancers that are even more elevated than I, obviously. Um, but what I think is interesting about your story is that you were talking about how you were interested in participating um, as a swimmer, went into dance. Um, and so just tell me about your comfort level in doing that, because obviously, even in America, you know, a lot of. Um, you know, boys will participate in football or basketball or, you know, whatever sport. So tell me about your comfort level and also discovering your inner artistry and interest towards ballet. That's a good question. Like I never thought of it that <laughs> way, but I think it is because everyone around me was so supportive okay. and like they didn't care really about why I did ballet or anything. Okay. And yeah, like, of course, I told all my friends that I was, like, doing swimming and ballet classes at the same time, and, like, I really liked it, and everyone was, like, they didn't, they never thought past it, or, like, uh, they never really cared, and I think that's what really made me comfortable. And doing it. And not freak out about, oh, shit, should I be doing, can I swear? Sorry. Oh, you're, Sorry. No, you're fine. 
Okay. <laughs> You're good. It's my show. You're okay. fine. <laughs> and so did yeah. you, uh, uh, even while you were doing ballet, did you ever take up any other forms of dance, a contemporary jazz, tap, anything else? Or were you always strictly into ballet? Well, in the beginning, it was strictly only into ballet. But once I got here to the Netherlands, that's when contemporary got introduced to me. Yeah, but I've never so, done tap or jazz or any other dance style. Yeah, I mean, obviously, all forms of dance are so beautiful. Um, it is, you know, just yeah. the classical music. I miss being in a studio and being able to, you know, express myself in that way. I mean, um, you know, occasionally I'll go to a, a Pilates studio that has a bar and stretch and and reconnect or what have you. And I'm much older than you. I don't have the same you know, form and all that other stuff that I have, but um, just the, the, the form that the body takes on from training from ballet, I think is so uh, yeah. beautiful. And you have, a, a you know, extraordinary, um, you know, lyricism um, to your physique, which, you know, made me follow you anyways, just because I'm a, a fan Thank of you. ballet. Absolutely. So um, after being accepted into the Dutch National uh, Ballet Academy, um, you were um, accepted to become a part of the the junior company yes mm -hmm. and then you know yes. kind of tell me uh what you had to do to make it to the main company that you are part of now that you ascended to in the beginning of this year yeah so basically in the junior company it's like a bit of a you're still in school kind of but you're more introduced to the professional world mm -hmm. so it's a small group of 12 dancers six girls six guys and yeah you rehearse and you like um you perform. There perform. you go. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we no perform works. a lot. Like we, we toured and we perform also with the main company. So it's like a great introduction to what the professional world is like mm -hmm. without jumping into this big pool with 80 right plus dancers and finding your own way there. So it's nice to be introduced in a small group and then growing from there. And then in the second year, I got more solo roles, which I love doing. I remember when I was participating in dance, I was doing it like five to six days a week, probably more like five. And it would mm -hmm. be about three hours of my day. And then obviously, if you were um, trying to get ready for a performance, it, you know, that took a lot of time rehearsing. So tell yeah. me a little bit about how many hours you put into it. And then I want to get into after that, your preparation for your body. Okay, so what a usual schedule looks like, especially in the junior company, it was hectic. It was crazy. Like our longest weeks would be like six days a week, what you said before, like six days a week, and then eight hours a day, like rehearsing, doing class with like an hour of break a day. Mm. So yeah, that's the toughest period, I think, but also the most fulfilling because you feel like you're doing like your best all the time and you, you get home and you're exhausted, but you feel so good at the same time. So... Yeah, that's the most hectic period. So we're rehearsing a lot of pieces for like a very big tour that we're doing with like a lot of pieces in the performance itself. But now in the main company, you don't get as many pieces to dance in as in the junior company. So it's mm -hmm. like more relaxed, but at the same time you do. As you work your way up through the company, right, to more prominent um, roles. And exactly titles i understand tell me what goes mm -hmm. into your whole stretch routine just for your body and how much time you even prepare your body before you actually go into class and the reason why i ask you this is because not only as a dancer as a personal trainer but you know i would spend a lot of time from head to toe making sure everything is aligned and stretched and i'm, I'm curious about your routine i like to stretch my legs a lot because like those are the most bendy parts of my body but when i'm cold they're 
stiff as a brick. So I like to like stretch my hamstrings a lot and yeah, my calves, especially because they get very tight after jumps. And yeah, also my back a lot because my lower back used, tends to get very stiff. So yeah, especially like legs, lower back, and then maybe some ab exercises to get the core like nice and ready for balances or like to get that line in. Yeah. so yeah mostly that and like I take my time with it because of course you want to be gentle with your body especially as a dancer like you have to be aware of not getting injuries all the time because that's yeah. that sucks yes so yeah mostly like stretching and like more core exercises and then we get into class and like it's a slow warm-up yes yes and um and the reason why I ask that too is because you know the the ballet body is so beautiful and it reminds you that I mean you don't even have to be this gym, you know, weight room warrior to have the most defined, <laughs> lengthened ballet body. You know, a lot of it obviously is is the body weight on the body and using that as your force that you're working against to develop your body. And so I'm curious, even outside of ballet, do you do any other cross training? Um, do you do any weightlifting or is everything that is a part of your physique and your, um, you know, your alignment and your body type, is that all from ballet? Most of it, it is because especially my legs tend to be very, not bulky, but they are like pretty big. Like my, my quads are pretty big, but that's all from ballet, like from the jumping or from just like anything we do in dance, like my legs tend to get very big from that. But on the other hand, um, like we, of course we do lift the girls up and down and everything. So the body gets a nice shape as well. And of course it's like ballet is an insane cardio training, but I do, especially this year, I do go to the gym a lot to mostly work on my upper body to not only for like definition, because I want to have like a good looking summer body all the yeah. time, but also, <laughs> but um, no, also to get the strength to lift a girl. So I don't, so when I'm dancing, I don't have to especially, I don't have to think about, oh God, this girl's heavy more like I'm <laughs> so you don't lifting drop her? the girl. So you don't drop her? Yeah. <laughs> I don't drop her. That's important too. Right. So yeah, it's more about, yeah, it's more good. about, yeah, getting the strength and not having to worry about listing the girl more about how I'm dancing. Because the other thing I was looking at is your arch. Your arch mm. foot is so incredible. Um, I, does, do you get that from your mom and your dad? And then how much do you work just the cup in your foot? I have no idea who I got it from. I don't know what part of DNA that came from, but I'm lucky to have been born with like very nice arched feet. Your arch is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't realize I had a good arch till like I got here. That's when like people told me, can you stretch your foot? And I was like, why? And they were like, your foot is amazing. And I was like, oh, sure. (laughs) You're like, oh, this? You mean that one? Oh, nothing. (laughs) I know, because, you know, my foot obviously is not as arched as yours. But what they used to tell us to do is to put your foot underneath a a low riding couch. And you would Mm -hmm. sit back away from the couch and then you would try to, you know, flex, right. So that the weight of the couch would, you know, push down and you would try to develop that arch on the top of your foot. Once upon a time, I used to have that a little bit more. Now I look like a duck walking through the living room because, you know, I can't even lift my leg past my shin. Um, But that's neither here nor there. You will inspire me to do um, a couple more things. So obviously right now you guys are in the middle of the pandemic. So 
Um, you were yeah. telling me over Instagram what the performances that you guys are doing now, um, right before uh, Christmas, and obviously something that you're trying to do that coordinates with the fact that everyone, you know, cannot come and watch as a huge group anymore. Yeah, it definitely sucks that we can't perform with an audience because, like, that energy it gives you when, like, way more than a thousand people are looking at you, it's, like, so overwhelming. So, and I miss the applause and everything. Like, it's such a great feeling when you're finished and, like, everyone's like, yeah, hooray. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> like, it's a great feeling. Oh, and like, I miss oh, it me? so much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly right. that. Right. But, um, yeah, when, like, Corona hit, they keep reducing the amount of people who could come and watch. So it started with four, then started with three, then 200, and then from 200 to 30. Wow. So, yeah, the company was like, yeah, it's not really worth it to have a set like a normal performance for such a small crowd exactly with such a small crowd so what they basically did is cancel everything and And now you guys have a virtual and now you guys have a virtual performance coming up tell me about that yeah so we're doing uh, a christmas gala on saturday and they call it a live stream but i'm gonna be honest like a little secret um a lot of it because it's like we're doing nutcracker like a big christmas thing and like we're also doing other modern pieces but for example, Nutcracker in, in, involves such a huge set. Yeah. And for them to do that in a live stream, it takes ages for like the whole set to come up, clear the stage, put a whole set up again. Like it takes so much time. So what they did is during this week, we filmed uh, the pieces that needed big sets. And then some of the pieces that don't need them will be, li- will be live on Saturday. Yes. Oh, awesome. Um, real quick, you know, obviously, like I mentioned, very much into the ballet world, uh, one of the most famous male uh, ballet dancers was uh, Mikhail uh, Baryshnikov. I'm curious, mm-hmm. do you have a, a dancer, whether female or male, that is your muse in terms of who you look to to aspire to be and what is your ultimate goal, whether it be in the Dutch National Opera and Ballet or whether it be even uh, another company abroad somewhere else? Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Like I, when I was little, I used to look up a lot to Nuria, especially, mm. and I loved Polina Semyonova. She's an ABT right now, mm. and she she's a beautiful dancer, and I was like I loved her. Mm. And but once I got here and I saw other dancers in the company, I think that I don't have a favorite dancer anymore. I think that everyone around me kind of inspires me because yeah. everyone has such a different quality of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I like that about you. I'm gonna copy you. Oh. Oh, that's okay. Sorry. I got you. That's okay. My phone's dying. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I see a dancer who's doing this beautiful thing. I'm like, I'm going to copy that. I like that. So I take little things from everyone. I really want to develop myself here. And hopefully, I'm going to work very hard to become a principal here one day. So I'm not planning on leaving soon. Okay. So if I ever came to the Netherlands, what, uh, Holland, you know, what, what, where should I go? And, um, you know, what is the best food that I should eat? Oh, well, you should definitely come to Amsterdam. Like, I love Amsterdam. This city is gorgeous. I love it. Um, Food-wise. Oh, God. Like, Dutch Dutch (laughs) diet is not amazing. Don't tell me chicken nuggets and uh, a Happy Meal. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me something that is native to your your, your country. Tell me something native to your country. I got to be honest, like, French fries are pretty big I know here. right <laughs> so that's that's a good one yeah 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 but uh 
yeah, like traditional Dutch food. You have very traditional Dutch snacks. Like you have this cookie that's like a round cookie with like syrup in the middle. It's mm. delicious. Mm. That's pretty typical here. But other than that, like a normal meal is like potatoes, broccoli, and a piece of meat. That's like a traditional meal okay. here. Like okay. it's very bland and boring. So okay. I don't know. I advise you. I, with syrup is what I should try. Yeah. Yeah. I would try okay. that before okay. anything else. All right. Well, listen, I, I totally appreciate you coming on. I think it was such a, a great uh, thing for you to, you know, come on with such short notice. Uh, you have such grace. Um, man, you know, your physique is so lyrical. I appreciate the artistry in you. I think you have, you know, even just the foundation of your, your, your form, you know, you have, um, a great place to build from and become what you want to be and aspire to, which is, you know, become a principal dancer. And whether you stay with the Dutch National Opera and Ballet or whether you go abroad anywhere else, uh, big things and blessings for you, my friend Alejandra. I appreciate you coming Thank on. Thank you very much. I love this. Anderson. Thank you so yes. much for having me. Yes, 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 yes. So I appreciate your time. You have a good evening. And then we hope to you talk too. to you soon, okay? Yeah, would love that very much. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. So what a delightful conversation with Alejandro Sportendijk. Uh, we really appreciate him joining us all the way from the Netherlands. And for both of our guests, really, Frank Clark, we appreciate you too. Personable and fun as always. And Alejandro, thank you for joining us on this episode of Undefined with Josina Anderson. That being yours truly. See you guys next time. 